Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. App trap, hundreds of criminals caught in a global surveillance sting, Hackers hacked. The FBI recovers some of the colonial pipeline ransom. And the worldwide what? Websites and apps across the world go dark. It's Tuesday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move. Great to have you with us on what we'll call Super Tuesday here on the show. We'll discuss the return of supersonic jet travel with the CEO of Boom Supersonic. We've got superstar musicians ready to hit the road as reopenings ramp up. The president of concert giant Live Nation will tell us when the rock and roll will start to roll and a super snag for cyber criminals. U.S. officials retrieving millions of dollars in crypto ransom. What it means for the business model of hack attacks just ahead too. Now, in the meantime, no sign of Super Tuesday on Wall Street. Futures a touch higher, though, after a tepid Monday with the S&P unable to hold on to record levels. Europe, meanwhile, driving the data agenda today. German industrial production falling last month. What, why and why? Due to supply chain issues, something that the Biden administration is now tackling head on here in the United States. The White House announcing a supply chain task force to deal with the ongoing shortages of chips, pharma supplies and things like EV batteries. There's also going to be a so-called strike force on U.S.-China trade. It's the scarcity of goods, though, and the rising cost of everything that's becoming a hot-button political issue in the United States. Deutsche Bank today warning that global economies are, quote, sitting on a time bomb that could lead to a deep recession, particularly in emerging markets if central banks allow economies to get too overheated. It's a long way from the at least public views of the persistently patient Powell and his fellows at the Federal Reserve. Okay, on to our drivers. Not so anonymous after all. 800 people across 300 crime syndicates have been arrested in a sting operation involving an app known as Anom. That audacious app, Trap, was developed and run by an international police operation. Ivan Watson joins me now. Ivan, this reads like a plot of a movie, a a, a record-breaking movie, quite frankly, coming to a cinema near you. Just talk us through the details of how police operations coordinated around the globe and managed to capture so many criminals. Well, Julia, police forces around the, the globe are taking quite a victory lap today. They're delighted with what they say are the successful results of this this really audacious Trojan horse. I mean, they say that the FBI essentially created a communications platform that criminal organizations unwittingly used to organize their logistics. And in the sting, in the dragnet, hundreds of people have been arrested, tens of millions of dollars in cash seized, and tons of illegal drugs as well. 
The police in Australia have been busy. Police search warrant, open the door! Raiding homes, seizing tons of drugs, tens of millions of dollars in cash, more than a hundred guns, and conducting hundreds of arrests. We allege they are members of outlaw motorcycle gangs, Australian mafia, Asian crime syndicates, and serious and organized crime groups. We allege they have been trafficking illicit drugs into Australia at an industrial scale. The crackdown in Australia, part of a parallel investigation with the FBI, rolling out across at least 18 countries. The Australian government, as part of a global operation, has struck a heavy blow against organised crime, not just in this country, but one that will echo around organised crime around the world. The FBI's man in Australia says law enforcement fooled criminal gangs by targeting their communications. When criminal organisations have to engage in the logistics of moving their illicit materials, their money, uh, organising violence, all of that activity has to happen over a communications platform of some kind. Australian law enforcement say hundreds of suspected criminals communicated on customized phones equipped with an encrypted messaging app called Anom. That app was essentially created by the FBI and decrypted by the Australian Federal Police. We introduced a dedicated encrypted communications device into the global criminal marketplace. This animated video distributed by the Australian police explains the operation. The customised phones were used by alleged senior crime figures, which gave other criminals the confidence to use the platform. You had to know a criminal to get hold of one of these customised phones. The phones couldn't ring or email. It could only communicate with someone on the same platform. For nearly three years, law enforcement say they've monitored these communications. Essentially, we have been in the back pockets of organised crime and operationalised a criminal takedown like we have never seen. Thanks to the app, Australian police say they intercepted a planned mass shooting while acting on at least 21 threats to kill. Meanwhile, authorities across Europe, New Zealand, Canada and the UK say they've also joined the operation, conducting their own raids and arrests. With the roundup continuing around the world, police predict criminals may start turning on each other as decrypted messages reveal their secrets. Now, Julia, part of what the Australian Federal Police say made this audacious strategy possible was the fact that law enforcement were able to bring down several years ago a different encryption app called Phantom Secure that they say uh, various narco mafias had been using for their communications. And then uh, that the FBI working with the Australian Federal Police moved quickly to try to get this alternate app, Anom, out into the black market, into the criminal underworld, and they used that to, to gather evidence for years, real-time information and communications. And the Australian authorities insist that the criminal gangs were not hiding, not speaking in code, that they were very open about the kind of drugs that they were moving around and ordering, and also the violent hits that they were threatening against each other and their rivals. Julia. I mean, you had the perfect phrase for it. It's a digital Trojan horse created by uh, the FBI and police authorities. And the, 
the bad actors thought it was encrypted and safe, so they carried on talking. It's quite, quite fascinating. Why are we finding out about this now, Ivan? Has it simply run its course that they've utilised it as much as they, they needed to? It seems a shame almost if it was proving to be so useful that we're now finding out about it. Well, it's a good question. I mean, the announcements are being rolled out in Australia and in New Zealand first. There was a press conference uh, with Europol announcing that around a dozen European countries that were also involved in this. And then we're expecting in the hours to come that one of the FBI offices is going to make their own uh, statements about their participation uh, in this international uh, operation, which also has different names depending on which country and which jurisdiction is involved with here. Uh, the Australians say that they were already making arrests leading up to this announcement. They also hint that perhaps a number of cold cases can be solved with the evidence that they've been gathering uh, from 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 the app and perhaps from testimonies that they may get from some of the suspects if, for example, they flip on each other. But there's an additional point here that the uh, Australian police commissioner made, and that is that only a fraction of the criminal underworld out there actually uses this app, Anom, and there's much more of this kind of communication out there. So, so this might be just the tip of the iceberg, even though it's been a very successful day, apparently, for law enforcement around the world. Yeah, bad day for the bad actors, too. And to your point, let's hope that there are other apps like this and they're already on to their next project. Anon may be over, but there may be another one in the works. How long till the movie, Ivan? What's your bet? Well, I wish I'd written the script or gotten the rights to it because uh, I could probably <laughs> yeah. move on to another career, huh? Yeah, you're right. Legendary. I'll join you, please. Ivan Watson, thank you so much for that. OK, moving on. Ransom Recovered. U.S. investigators say they've reclaimed millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency paid to the colonial pipeline hackers. Alex Markart joins us now. Alex, as I said, it's a bad day for the bad guys, quite frankly. Talk us through how they found this ransom money. Fascinating. Yeah, Julie, I was going to say bad day for bad actors over here as well. Very simply, <laughs> they followed the money. Uh, when Colonial Pipeline was hit, uh, it was their, uh, their IT side of operations uh, that was struck by these ransomware attackers that was taken hostage, if you will. Uh, but they then shut down their operations. And in order to get their operations back up online, the CEO of Colonial Pipeline says that they pay the equivalent of $4.4 million um, in ransom to get, to, to get their operations back. Uh, but at the same time, they quietly alerted the FBI and the Department of Justice. Uh, and so the, the inv federal investigators were, were able to very quickly start tracking that money and they were able to track it down to a cryptocurrency wallet and they were able to retrieve, to recover, confiscate essentially uh, around $2.3 million uh, of that Bitcoin. Uh, now, that is more than half of the original value, but the, the value of, of Bitcoin has actually dropped. They were able to, to recover uh, the majority of the Bitcoins that were paid uh, to this, this ransomware attacker, DarkSide. Its, its operators are believed to be based out of Russia. Now, this is a, a rare success story in this plague of ransomware uh, attacks that is hitting not just this country, but other countries and, and around the world. Um, this was the first operation of its kind for, a ransom, for the ransomware task force that, has, that was recently stood up uh, by the Department of Justice. And it really highlights, Julia, the, 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 one of the main tactics, if not 
not the main tactic that the Biden administration uh, plans to use against these ransomware attackers to disrupt their networks, uh, follow the money, uh, disrupt the flow of that money to, in order to remove the incentive for these attacks to take place. At the same time, the Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said um, that companies really need to take this moment to look at their cybersecurity to harden and modernize their defenses. Take a listen uh, to a bit of what she said. No organization is immune. So today, I want to emphasize to leaders of corporations and communities alike, the threat of severe ransomware attacks pose a clear and present danger to your organization, to your company, to your customers, to your shareholders, and to your long-term success. So pay attention now. Invest resources now. Failure to do so could be the difference between being secure now or a victim later. The Department of Justice and the FBI did praise Colonial for alerting them so early uh, to the attack, and that is something that they hope other companies will do. Oftentimes, companies or organizations simply don't say anything, so uh, the authorities aren't able to track that money. They aren't able to learn anything uh, about the attackers. But the administration is also telling companies, we don't want you uh, to pay these ransoms, uh, which, Julie, of course, puts many companies uh, and all sorts of organizations in a very hard place, which simply want to get their operations back up and running again. Julia. Particularly when it's critical utilities, all the supply chains exactly. materially impacted, you're in this catch-22 situation. As we saw in this case, they paid up. But there was so much in that. The first one that you point that you mentioned, which was a great point, that it doesn't look like all the money was recovered. But, of course, we've seen a, what, 40 percent plus drop in the value of Bitcoin, in which case you're talking about a far smaller sum of money. And I think the critical thing for people to understand here as well is that Bitcoin transactions are available in a publicly distributed ledger. So you can track those payments. And that's very different, perhaps, if this would have been made in cash or fiat currencies in terms of the payment. And I think this is something that people really need to understand about criminal activity involving cryptocurrencies in particular. We are going to hear from the CEO of Colonial Pipeline because he's testifying in Congress today and tomorrow, I believe, Alex. What are we going to hear from him, do you think, particularly to your point about needing to shore up defences? Joseph Blount is the, uh, the CEO and the president of, of Colonial Pipeline. He is going to be testifying in front of the Senate Homeland Security Committee in, in just under an hour's time. Um, and we expect to hear a, a number of things. First of all, uh, a detailed timeline about how the attack played out, uh, when the alert was made to the FBI, uh, when the payment was made, that kind of thing. We would expect, uh, I imagine, to hear some contrition about uh, the, the fact that services were not delivered, the fact that uh, you know, there were gas shortages and long lines at gas stations as a result of those operations uh, being shut down. But we'll also, I imagine, hear uh, a call from, uh, from the CEO, from Mr. Blount, um, to, to other companies um, to harden their defenses, but also for more support from uh, the federal government for these companies, particularly those, as you pointed out, Julia, that are part of the critical infrastructure. Uh, the vast majority of the critical infrastructure in this company is made up uh, of private companies. So that partnership between uh, the government and those companies uh, is absolutely paramount. And then from the lawmakers' side, we would expect them to hold up Colonial Pipeline uh, as an example uh, of, of failures in cybersecurity, uh, of, uh, of the need to go after these ransomware attackers and some of the shortcomings by the federal government. What more needs to be done in order to safeguard these companies and the country's critical infrastructure? Julia? More money and more money and more money. And even when you think you're spending enough on this, you need to do more. Alex Markart, thank you so much for thank that. You.
All right, a global internet outage now fixed. A number of websites and apps around the world went offline earlier today after cloud service provider Fastly suffered a major glitch. Anna Stewart has the latest. The internet not working quite so fastly today. Anna, <laughs> who are Fastly and what actually happened here? Help us understand. Well, it was a huge web outage. Websites including Amazon, HBO Max, the UK government's website, and a load of different news websites, including CNN, were down for a short period this morning. And of course, everyone immediately concerned about is this a result of a cyber attack or some sort of ransomware attack? The good news is it was something much less malevolent. It was an issue at Fastly, a catastrophic failure, really. Now, Fastly is a content delivery network, a CDN, and effectively that means it's got a, a distribution network of servers all around the world. And it means that websites that use them can make sure that their websites are loaded fast wherever they are, because these servers can be nearer the user. Now, there was some sort of issue here. Farsi said that they know what it is. It has now been fixed. Websites are up and running again. But I think it's really highlighted just how reliant we all are on the Internet. It's caused quite a panic. Julia? Yeah, you know, all the stories this morning, for me, are completely connected. What it shows is these critical hotspots, in this case, Internet infrastructure, Places like Fastly, like Amazon Web Services that are the foundations of all the operations, the apps, the websites that we have on the Internet. And if they go down for whatever reason, for innocent reasons or nefarious reasons, um, we're in the dark. The internet is reliant on a few, albeit huge, companies like you say, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Fastly, uh, Cloudflare. And although this is possibly the biggest outage of its kind, it's certainly not the only one. I was looking just last year, uh, Cloudflare went down, very similar to Fastly. That's because its service provider went down. It took down a host of websites. We've seen something similar with Amazon as well. Is the centralization of these companies a good thing? I think it's just showed just how fragile, really, the Internet is. Julia? Yeah. Better for speed, better for accessibility, better for connectivity. But when they go wrong, it really goes wrong. And I can't help but notice you're no longer at home. You're no longer with a cat with you. You're no longer being blown by a wind machine. That's the, you're in the studio. <laughs> I'm in the studio. I'm not being rained on for once, right? Uh, I'm not going to celebrate. Wind. I was here for one day last year and then the UK went back, back into lockdown. Hopefully it's not just a one day event, but it's lovely to be back. Yes, fingers crossed. Although you did look great, like always saying, with the wind blowing, wind machine or otherwise. <laughs> great to have you back in the studio. I know. Anna Stewart, thank you. OK, let me bring you up to speed with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. The Speaker of Israel's parliament says lawmakers will vote on a new government this Sunday. If the coalition passes the confidence vote, it will be sworn in that same day. Right-wing politician Naftali Bennett would also become the next prime minister, ending Benjamin Netanyahu's 12-year run. The U.S. vice president has arrived in Mexico as part of her trip to address the flow of migration from Latin America. In the coming hours, Kamala Harris is expected to meet with the Mexican president to discuss the issue. They will also witness the signing of an agreement linked to migration and development in Central America. OK, so to come here on First Move, an IRL revival. The world's largest concert organizers say live events are back. We speak to the parent company of Ticketmaster. And also back with a boom. A startup is planning supersonic flights by 2029. Can it succeed where the Concorde failed? That's next. Stay with us.
Welcome back to First Move with an interesting week already on the show. And it's only Tuesday. Jeff Bezos set to rocket into space. A multi-million dollar Bitcoin ransom traced and the online presence of major websites erased at least temporarily. Many leading global websites are back up and running, as Anna discussed, after a sweeping technical glitch knocked them offline earlier today. The outage traced to issues at cloud computing firm Fastly, whose shares are down, what, 2.4% now in pre-market trade. Major moves, meantime, in the meme space, AMC, GameStop, all rallying pre-market after strong gains Monday, despite a new warning from the U.S. securities officials that say they're monitoring Reddit stocks for signs of, quote, manipulative trading or other misconduct. As you can see, not stemming gains pre-market once again today. Tesla, meanwhile, revving ahead pre-market too on news that its China car deliveries rose 29% month over month in May after a disappointing performance the previous month. Today's numbers are raising fears the EV community that China sales may have been slowing. Dan Ives is Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Dan, the comparisons, let's be clear, with the month before aren't difficult to improve upon, but I think there is a sigh of relief going on for, for Tesla investors this morning. And good morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the, the month of April was a, was a disaster for Tesla, especially yeah. in China. But if you look at May, and look, there are fears this trend was going to continue. Instead, massive rebound for May. I think this just shows that the yellow brick road to 300,000 is back on track for Tesla. And that's key. That's key to the whole bull thesis. The haters and skeptics will paint it how they want. But May, clear shot in the arm for the bulls. I mean, they've had some shaky issues there in China, safety issues, sort of big brother watching over them, skepticism about the need for the car and and what do you make of what we've seen and have those issues now passed? Yeah, there have been a lot of PR black eyes. You know, Big Brother watching, battles sort of with Beijing. You've also had those safety issues. And for for Tesla, they can't just shoo this away. In other words, for Musk, that's the whole linchpin to the bull thesis. I mean, we think China will be 40% of deliveries next year. And if you could domestic competition you know, in country. That's why this is so important for the stock in terms of this overall green tidal wave. China's a key piece for Tesla. That's why these main numbers, again, one month doesn't make a trend, but very important to reverse what was just a horrific month of April for Tesla. But, and you often say this, we have to take a step back when we look at China. I mean, what proportion of car sales are electric vehicles. It's what, just under 5% at this stage. The next two, three, four years are going to be incredibly transformational, whether it's for Tesla or some of the domestic players like the Neos, for example, surely. Yeah, I mean, you bring up an awesome point because it's 4.8%. And we think that goes to 10% over the next two to three years. That's why there's a $5 trillion market. There's there's more than room, you know, for just one boat in the ocean. So you're going to have a lot of winners. I mean, GM, I could argue is going to be a big winner domestically. But Tesla is going to continue to be leading this race. And I think if you see what's happening in China, you know, this is going to be shaky as we go through it. But I think on the other side, we're still looking at a $1,000 stock next 12 to 18 months. Wow. Still bullish on Tesla. Let's flip to Apple because we had some announcements. Nothing on the hardware front yesterday from them. It was all about interconnectedness data, privacy, security. And now you can FaceTime somebody on another platform too, which I happen to like. Yeah. And look, for Apple, they need to listen to the developers. And then this comes at a critical time, especially with the uh, the Game of Thrones battle with Epic in the courts. 
regulatory focus on App Store. If you look at what they laid out with iOS 15, it's also more integration of services. Remember, that's the golden jewel for Apple. And and if you look at some of just the enhancements, they're laying the groundwork, the foundation for what I view as the next stage of innovation in Cupertino. Are they listening to the app developers? I mean, I get your point about the interconnectedness for FaceTime, for example, but we've still got the epic battle going on over the fees that they charge in the app stores and the, some of the pushback that they've had there. How worried should we be about that, Dan? Because it's still sort of sitting there in the background. Yeah, it, I mean, look, right now that's a black cloud over Cupertino. And, and now, even though I think Apple is ultimately victorious from the epic lawsuit, I, if you look at it, this is just the first round of a 12-round boxing match because in the EU, you know, every day you wake up, is you could have a cup of coffee and there's going to be another headline about EU going after Apple, about the App Store, about the Beltway going after them, and it's ultimately about the developers. That 30% fee continues to be the line in the sand, very important because that's a crown jewel. So I think that right now it's about $15, $20 overhang in the stock. Hmm. Okay, price target on that one? So we're 185, and I still think that's when we get through this. It's a super cycle playing out. A year from now, me and you talk, $3 trillion mark cap. We shall do that, my friend. Okay, let's talk cybersecurity, because I know this is a decades-long interest for you and something that you've tracked for a really long time. I keep talking on the show about how far greater investments needed. We're so underinvested in the United States, never mind around the world. And we're seeing a significant ramp up in, in cyber attacks, even just in the last few weeks and months. Dan, who benefits from this? Where should investors be looking in terms of companies that perhaps benefit from a ramp up in spending that surely has to come? Yeah, I think it's a golden age for cybersecurity. Yeah. You look at SolarWinds, you look at the Colonial Pipeline, look at names like Zscaler, Telos, SailPoint, Palo Alto. Now, those are really names along with CrowdStrike that are really going to benefit here. I think you're also going to have a lot of M&A. And I, Julie, the only thing I'd say is it's a defensive and an offensive sector of tech. CIOs are ramping up spending just given the growing attack vector. Do you expect the government to do the, do the same too? Well, I think they've, you know, the bar, ultimately, I mean, they've talked a great game, but the spending's been underwhelming. I think the Biden initiatives that we've seen post-colonial is the real ramp up. We think federal spending is going to be up 30 percent this year. Wow. OK, you heard it here first. Dan Ives, great to have you with us as Thank always. Thank you. Dan Ives, Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities there. The market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, where U.S. stocks are up and running this Tuesday. And we've got some green on the screen in early trade. Tech stocks on the rise for a third straight session. The Nasdaq adding some half a percent here in early trade. The S&P 500 is still set to close close to record highs, some two-tenths of one percent. Tame bond yields also helping to lend support to the bullish case for stocks this morning. Ten-year yields currently sitting near three-month lows. The big test for the bond community, too, comes on Thursday when we get updated consumer price inflation data in the United States, too. Now, among today's stock market gainers, aerospace giant Boeing 
Southwest Airlines announcing today that it's upping its order for the smallest version of the 737 MAX on expectations of stronger travel demand later this year. In the meantime, concerts are returning and music fans rejoice. Live Nation, the world's largest live entertainment company, which also owns Ticketmaster, is saying that concert venue bookings are finally rebounding. This comes as more countries accelerate COVID-19 vaccinations. Just to give you some sense, here in the United States, over 42% of the population now fully inoculated. And joining us now, the president of Live Nation, Joe Birchtold. Joe, fantastic to have you on the show. Talk us through this rebound in booking. Very exciting. Thanks. Yes, thanks for having us on, Julia. It's, uh, it feels so good to be where we're at now. Uh, we're just seeing massive pent-up demand for concerts globally, lead, led by the U.S. and the U.K. Um, this week, we're going to have over 30 concert on sales probably the largest ever at Ticketmaster, the biggest stars out there, Billie Eilish, Lady Gaga, Bruno Mars, Garth Brooks, the Eagles, Guns N' Roses. It just keeps coming and coming. And all of these are just doing tremendously well. There's such pent up demand. We're seeing it this summer out of the gates, outdoors. Our festivals uh, have been selling out faster than ever before. Our amphitheater business is ramping up quickly. And leading into this fall in 22, we expect to be our largest years ever. Wow. People really are ready to get back into action. Can you just give us a sense of, in terms of the bookings that you're seeing, sort of what proportion are people that held on to credit from bookings that they'd made in the past and obviously then got cancelled versus people perhaps who got refunds and are making fresh bookings? Can you give us any sense of, of sort of what you're seeing here? Because I know you made getting refunds or extending credit to people to spend in the future as easy as possible. No, we, we certainly did our best to make sure that any show that was moved, people had the full opportunity to, to return their ticket if they needed the money. It was amazing. 83% of the people held on to their tickets. So they really spoke and said, going to the concert is a real priority. And if I got that great Billie Eilish ticket in the 20th row for my daughter, I'm not giving it up because I'm never getting it back. And as a result, we had an, a nice level of demand preset. But a lot of what's going on sale now is new concerts. Those are selling tremendously well. Garth Brooks selling out stadiums in under an hour, a record wow. for us. Astro <laughs> World with Travis Scott selling out in about an hour. Just everything that is going up across all genres. We're seeing this is going to be a golden age of music. Urban music selling fast. Country music, pop, traditional rock. Every genre of music is doing incredibly well because there's everybody's a fan. And everybody sees that going to concerts is, is the energy they need. It's the social connection, getting out there, re-engaging. There is nothing better than a concert to celebrate the end of this pandemic. And doing it safely, I guess, Joe, at the same time. What, how are you handling sort of the relative safety measures? Obviously, it differs by state. It differs by nation. We've also got to be flexible, I guess, in case we see a rise in cases due to, to variants out there. Are you going to maintain the same level of flexibility as well over, fingers crossed, it doesn't happen, but again, cancellations or postponements going forward? Oh, absolutely. You nailed it, yeah. Julia. It the one thing we've learned over the past year is flexibility, adaptability, and figuring out what the situation requires. We're in 40 countries, all 50 states, and the answer today on what you need is different than the answer a month from now or six months from now. So we need to be figuring out what's the right situation. We work with the health authorities in every market that we're in. 
What is it based on the vaccination levels? As the vaccination levels go up, the great news is, is that we have more, more freedom for life to get back closer to normal. So we're continuing to be encouraged by seeing some of those levels tick up. We're doing everything we can to help all the local health authorities to encourage the vaccine. The more people that get the vaccine, the more everybody can get back to concerts. So we're encouraging that. At the same time, we're just figuring out what makes sense in the moment for that market. Uh, but we're seeing that in every case, people just want to get back to the show. I just wondered in the United States, are you having any trouble hiring, whether it's event staff or for sponsorship sure. staff to support sure. delivery? Any, any challenges yeah. there? Oh. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And a lot of people are seeing that in the market. Yeah. Uh, when we look at our permanent staff, and unfortunately, we had to furlough uh, some of our people when we largely closed down for the year, we're seeing tremendous success in their return. Over 90% of the people that we call back from furlough are coming back. So our key staff, the people that run the business over time are coming back and we're seeing that working well. Uh, thus far, as we're looking at our festivals and our amphitheaters, we're not having real issues. Uh, we're just in the beginning of that. We expect our costs may be up slightly this summer, uh, but because we'll be operating on a partial level, uh, we don't expect it to have a material impact and we expect it to get sorted out over the next six months or so before we really ramp up to full speed. Okay, I have to talk to you about something that seems to be dominating the music and the art world right now, and that's NFTs. I'm sure you could guess before I, I yeah. even asked you. And I know you said, look, we're deep in exploration, which is a great way to say, look, uh, we're sort of catching up like everybody else. But can you put it into practical terms for me? How do you think it, it sort of applies to Live Nation, particularly on things like ticketing, for example? How do you make yeah. NFTs relevant for, for your customers? No, ab absolutely. We think NFTs are a great digital collectible. So when we move to digital ticketing, a lot of people will no longer have that ticket stub, that memorabilia of the show, uh, or they still buy a poster, they still buy some merchandise. And NFT is going to give them a digital alternative. So if you have your digital ticket and we make it easy, you can buy a, a digital poster uh, when you go to the show and you can have that in your wallet you can use that as your brag point for the fact you went to the show. Or you're a big fan and you can spend a bit more and get the serial print that's of higher value and more exclusive. Or you can buy the original. So if you're a big Dave Matthews fan and you want to track, I've gotten to 20 Dave Matthews fans. Here's the, here's the NFT from every show. And I get to show you, hey, this is what I went to. This is where my seat was. Maybe it's a clip of the show. Those are going to be great ways for for people to have a, a memorabilia uh, of the experience. And so we're building out so that we can easily sell them on Ticketmaster. Uh, we can sell them when you're at the show, but we see it as a very nice incremental piece of our business, a logical extension. Okay, and the other thing would be live streaming platform, because I know you took a, a, a big chunk in, in Veeps as well, and this seems like a huge opportunity, something that we've learned over the pandemic period, that you can still attend a concert even if you're sitting on your sofa back home. How important a chunk of the business do you think, in light of everything that you've said about everyone wanting to get back in physical yeah. presence and, and see stars perform, how much of a, a chunk of the business do you think that might be in the future? Yeah, I think we've learned a few things. First of all, we've reaffirmed that there is no replacement for going to the show, that social event, going with your friends, singing along, dancing, that there's no replacement of that. But we've also learned that a lot of people can't get to the show. It's not in their city. It's sold out. They just can't make it. 
And so we want to be able to provide that live streaming alternative. We think the Veeps team has been a, is a great team. Uh, they've really melded well with our company. And we think that to be able to offer a large portion of those 3,000 artists we work with every year, when you put on the tour, we want to be able to have some live streams so the fans that can't make it can also experience it. And they will do the opening night, a few in the middle, a closing night, leverage the fact that we can wire our venues, leverage the fact that we can sell the ticket on Ticketmaster to make it easy. All of that will just create, again, another incremental revenue stream for the artist who we want to continue to help support, help them get their economics back in shape after yeah. not being able to get out for the past year. Yeah, that's such a great point because it is about the stars too and getting them back out there and um, get people access to them and their talent. Joe, great to have you on the show and thank you for the boost of positivity too. It's, it's great to hear Joe Burke told there, the president of Live Nation. Thank you so much and we'll chat soon. Thanks, Joe. Okay, let's move on. Boom. That's the sound of a new supersonic jet. Oh, I didn't do that very well. Aiming to carry United Airlines passengers within the next decade, we'll talk to the CEO of Boom Supersonic to explain. Stay with us. Boom is trying to bring back supersonic air travel. It signed a deal with United Airlines to provide 15 jets. It's an investment for the future as the company isn't aiming to fly passengers until 2029. And by then, it will have been 26 years since the last commercial supersonic flight on board the Concorde. But the appeal is straightforward. Supersonic jets can move twice as fast as traditional airliners. And that means you can get where you're going in half the time. The CEO of Boom Supersonic, Blake Scholl, joins us now. Blake, fantastic to have you on the show. I actually saw that your ultimate ambition is to fly people anywhere in four hours for around $100, which is one heck of an ambition. But let's just start with what you're doing at Supersonic. Talk to me about these jets. Yeah, well, I mean, fundamentally, we believe that a world in which more people can go more places more often is a better world for us to live in, a better one for our kids to grow up in. And so after really 50 years of no progress in the speed of air transportation, Supersonic is back. It's back in a big way, in a far more mainstream way, and it's here to stay. And so uh, aboard Overture, which is our first passenger airliner, you could go from, say, London to New York in just three and a half hours. You could get across the Pacific, Tokyo to Seattle in just four and a half hours. Really, really big speed ups. And it's not just about the time it saves you. It's about the places you could go that today you wouldn't even think of visiting. You know, imagine being able to do a weekend trip to Hawaii or a day trip across the Atlantic. Yeah, the world suddenly becomes a far smaller place. But I think we have to do the comparison with Concorde because there are crucial differences. I mean, the technologies, what, uh, 60 years on since we were talking about the technology for Concorde initially, you're saying that you can do this 100% carbon neutral. It's also much quieter. And I think people can see just by looking at the pictures, it's far more narrow, I think, than what we were looking at with Concorde. Just explain what makes this unique. Well, you nailed it. It's been 60 years since Concord was designed, right, with slide rules and drafting paper and no computers. And today we've got new materials. We've got computer-optimized aerodynamics. We have new engines that are quieter and much more fuel efficient. And what we're doing at Boom is bringing those technologies together to achieve a 75% reduction in the cost of supersonic flight from day one, which means supersonic flight is going to be available to far more people than we're ever able to benefit from Concorde. And like you 
you said, also 100% sustainable. A thing I deeply believe is the flight that you most want to be on from a speed and comfort and convenience perspective should also be the best one from the planet's perspective. And that's why Overture is designed from the ground up to run on 100% sustainable aviation fuel. First airliner to do that. And that means the entire supersonic fleet is actually going to be 100% carbon neutral. On board the airplane, uh, we're building something really wonderful for passengers. Our goal is to make it such that you feel better when you step off the flight than when you stepped on. And so, yeah, it's a relatively long and skinny airplane, but there's great personal space, a large seat, a large window, a 25-inch screen. We want to build something where you're going to feel comfortable to read or relax or even have a supersonic flying desk where you can be productive at 60,000 feet. Like, don't call it skinny, call it streamlined. Come on, it's beautiful. Um, you know, there will be people watching this going, you know what, Concorde failed for a reason. And that's because as great as it was and as quick as it was, people weren't willing to pay the super high price. It was like a once in a lifetime trip rather than just being, you know, a business or a um, let's get around the world and go on holiday and do it really quickly kind of uh, resource. Talk to me about cost and trying to bring the cost of this down. How much more expensive is it going to be perhaps than, let's say, flying business class or or flying first class? Because I do feel like that's critical. And I also feel like Wi-Fi and Zoom have kind of disrupted the business model of, of travel already. And you can fight back on that. But these are also surely critical impediments to the return of something like this. Well, I think you're 100% right. The biggest problem with Concorde is most people couldn't afford to fly on it routinely. It was about $20,000 for a return ticket. And so fast forward to Overture. Uh, Overture 1 has a 75% reduction in cost of operation versus Concorde. And what that means is the cost of flying is going to be a bit more like flying business class today. And yes, that's not yet for everybody, but it is for tens of millions of people, both for business trips and leisure trips. And uh, the basic premise is instead of paying top dollar for a super, for a subsonic flying bed because you hate that the flight is so long, you can trade in the bed on the airplane for the best one in the world, which is the one at home the night before you have to leave. And so it's a really strong value proposition. It's not going to be a fare that's tremendously different from what people are already paying today in business class. And like you said earlier, you know, our ultimate goal is to get the cost even further down. You know, I, I want flights that are faster, that are more affordable, that are more convenient, that are more sustainable. And so there's going to be an Overture 2 and an Overture 3. And as the cost comes down, what we're going to find is supersonic starts to displace subsonic as the main mode of transportation over long distances, not just for a few people, but for all of us. I saw your um, sort of hottest competitor in the supersonic race was a Florida-based company called Aaron, and recently said, look, we've run out of money and we're shutting down. It's an expensive, intensive industry and project to be on. Do you have enough money to go between now and 2029 and bring these planes to market, Blake? How many orders do you have ahead of time? So United placed the first order for any supersonic civil aircraft since Concorde in the 1970s, the first true order. Boom has had pre-orders before. Other people have had pre-orders. This is the first order. And the company is uh, is super well-financed. I'm super proud of the investor base we have. And yes, this is capital intensive. But one of the reasons Boom is succeeding is because we have picked an approach to market that has a tremendously large opportunity. So tens of millions of people already fly business class internationally on routes where we're going to be able to give them a big speed up. 
and that creates a need for over a thousand overture aircraft. So a really significant opportunity. And uh, and when you look at Boom's approach, I'm, I love it because you know Concorde's the big problem was it was too expensive, and so we are moving towards a more mainstream opportunity, getting the cost down, which also makes the opportunity bigger. And you know other folks who have tried this have tried to make it a private jet, and the problem is when you build a private jet. You can't really sell very many of them. It's much harder to justify the case to investors. For now, Blake, <laughs> good luck. And I would just like to nominate myself for 2029 for that first flight if you need a journalist to report on it. <laughs> Blake Shaw, founder and CEO of Boom Supersonic. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Okay, still ahead. Another stunning vote of confidence in Bitcoin from one of corporate America's biggest crypto bulls. That story and more just ahead. Welcome back. Another challenging day for the Bitcoin faithful. The leading cryptocurrency lower again today and down some 11% in the past week. That said, Bitcoin bull Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy, is doubling down yet again on his crypto bets. His company borrowing some $400 million by issuing junk bonds to buy more Bitcoin, while at the same time warning of a hefty quarterly loss on its current Bitcoin investments. Shares of MicroStrategy are down some 4% today on the news in early trade. Sailor, still a Bitcoin buyer, though. Former President Donald Trump ruffling the Bitcoin community, perhaps suggesting Bitcoin, quote, seems like a sham. Paul Lugmonica joins me now. Paul, as market indicators go, I don't know whether that's a buy signal or a sell signal, quite frankly, but there's a lot going on. Yeah, I think it is fascinating. For one, uh, you know, uh, MicroStrategy, to their credit, they have been consistent, unlike, say, Tesla, uh, with being bullish on uh, Bitcoin. But President Trump's comments are pretty interesting uh, regarding Bitcoin, defending the dollar. If you close your eyes and, you know, you didn't realize that it was uh, Donald Trump saying it, you could have thought that it was Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, who are also extremely critical of uh, Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies. So I think there are still a lot of investors out there looking to, you know, kind of bold, you know, type names like the former president for cues about where prices are going to go. So it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens in the coming weeks since Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies had a terrible month in May that's extended now into June. You, great, you raise a great point, though, about uh, pushback when you have a nation like El Salvador saying, look, we're going to have this as legal tender when current legal tender is the US dollar. You'd expect to see perhaps some official pushback if uh, the dollar is going to be in some way even just a tiny little bit replaced by uh, certain individuals. What do you make of the recovery of the crypto ransom, Paul? Yeah, I think that that is another factor that is potentially driving down Bitcoin prices. Fairly or not, there have been uh, people who have criticized cryptocurrencies as an easy medium of exchange for, uh, you know, uh, fraud and other, you know, Malfeasance. So that I think is, you know, this is being raised as a potential problem again. And yet it was identified, it was found and it was on the ledger. So the officials could identify it. I'd argue that's a positive. We shall reconvene on that, my friend. Paul and Monica, we've run out of time. I'm being told off. Thank you. That's it for the show. Stay safe. Connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. Master Stop Talking. I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. 
Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.